Hey gang, it's Rachel. It's Ari. And we just want to say before this podcast gets started that everything you hear is speculative or alleged, and that we are not making any concrete or slanderous statements. Just so you know, Mark. See you in the podcast. Hello listeners, and welcome to Legends in Review, an unaffiliated and unofficial podcast reviewing DC's Legends of Tomorrow. As you know, the season finale wrapped up season two. We're going to be heading into season three in the fall. But, you know, before we go, we are going to be going into a summer series and reviewing other forms of media. And so our next podcast, probably until San Diego Comic-Con, when we do a recap of that, will probably not be Legends related. It'll still be us. It'll be a different series under a different name. And then Legends in Review will pick up in the fall. So this is our final episode talking about season two of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Maybe for our special series, we'll do our feelings on season one, but who knows? This is the recap of season two, and we're going to call it... This bit was a mistake. This bit was a mistake. (laughs) I'm your host, Ari. I'm your host, Rachel, and welcome to the podcast. Ari, where do you want to start us off? Um, let me let me just say this. I'm going to open this with a disclaimer, and that is this kind of gets into um, extrapolation, kind of tinfoil hatty theory stuff. Um, I do try to back it up with the source of having watched this show and knowing how TV works. Um, but, you know, if you're not really into, like, theorizing and things like that, this might come off a little weird um yeah you might you might think that we're just pulling this out of nowhere and if you do you do whatever yeah i i feel like i feel like if you're watching this you probably understand how we look at things and how we review things at this point so i feel comfortable in saying this mark guggenheim is a piece of shit and did everything in his power to make sure that season two of legends of tomorrow would fail and it is specifically because of the hawks when we left off in season one I would say we had some pretty significant things set up. The whole, the big catalyst of the Time Masters not, you know, being okaying Vandal Savage and being fine with everything that had happened up until this point was because they considered him the lesser of two evils because as Rip's time mentor explained to him, he was keeping the Thanagarians at bay. If you don't know who the Thanagarians are, they're the alien race that Carter and Kendra's initial incarnations were possessed by? Possessed by, mutated by. I mean, let me do the Hawk background here really quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, It's kind of complicated. It kind of makes no sense. And here's the thing about comics is I'm going to say one thing, and there's going to be a little bit of truth in it from everywhere, um, because canon is constantly changing and you never know. Smorgasbord. It's a smorgasbord. Basically, the Hawks were originally supposed to be reincarnations of Khufu and Chayara in the 40s when the United States was just getting into the excavations of Egypt. And then in the 60s, when sci-fi became a thing, they changed them to aliens. And now sort of in modern canon, and since it's never established in Legends canon, I just kind of assume because Vandal Savage says the... Skyrocks, aka the Thanagarian meteorites containing nth metal, are what gave us our powers. We know in current comics canon that um, Shaira is the queen of Thanagar, and that Katar, which you know, real clever, is head of security or chief of police or something. And because she is queen, there has always been 
you know, they can't be together and I think they flee to Earth and then we never really hear from them again and then here comes Khufu and Shayara. So they're sort of linked to Thanagar. Like, it's never really explicitly explained if Chayara is Shaira and Katar is Khufu, but I'm kind of assuming it is, especially because Carter Hall has always been a bit more of an alien than Shaira slash Kendra has been. It's really messy. It's really messy. And on the one hand, you know, watching Legends try to explain this may or may not have been like watching someone play the violin on the Titanic. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever heard in but, my life. Um, I mean, it's something that's like really fun and fascinating to me because it gives you an excuse to make a space opera piece with the Hawks. And the team in it's my... Peak it's peak comic book. It's like, peak comic book. It's so comic book. Everything about it. But so now that you know sort of the background of that and how deeply intertwined Carter and Kendra are into that and that Kendra is actually the queen of Thanagar, I'm going to pass it back to Ari. Okay. Thank you. Because that was actually... I didn't know that switch from the 50s, the 40s to the 60s. That's really cool. Um, yeah. They so, had to combine everything. Which is usually Just where comics... Just throw it in a blender. Well, that's the problem is, because you have to smear... It's not the point. We're not talking comics about... Comics canon. Will it blend? Yeah, literally. But um, we run into issues because the Thanagarians are kind of like proud warrior race guys. They're basically like the DC Klingons. Um, kind of, sort of, but bird d- people. I'm pretty sure that the Star Trek universe and the DC universe now technically... Cause, yeah, because there was a Legion of Superheroes... Star Trek crossover But there comic. was also a Marvel Comics crossover comic because they had to do the Dr. McCoy choke with Beast and Bones. Good news, everybody. <laughs> comics are bad. Comics are bad, actually. Don't read them. My point is, is they're basically like, they're the, they're the proud warrior race guy kind of types. And um, so having going to war to them. <laughs> going to war to them. Basically, Shaira from the Justice League cartoon is a really, really excellent indicator. Because she's just pure alien. There's no... There is some Chayara and Khufu there. Like, they actually did try to... Like, they changed that canon completely and Carter got completely boned. And not in the way Carter enjoys getting boned. Yeah, it was... They which just, is every other way except this one specific very one. very one specific way. But, but that and the Thanagarians that you see in the three-part invasion crossover that they did um, in the Justice League cartoon... That is super indicative of everything you need to know about the Thanagarians. That is exactly what they are as an alien race. That's really funny to me because we're going to be talking about that three-part crossover because season one sets up a couple of really big things in its finale for season two. Number one, the Thanagarians um, and the fact that Vandal Savage and the Time Masters were for some reason the only thing keeping them at bay. Because he was the only one who could unite people because he's such a ruthless dictator that is really stupid i'm pretty sure you could have found someone else to do that but also the time masters got involved because something something it was very dumb the whole thing was very dumb but it was dumb in a way where i'm like i could believe this this is still a feasible show plot and we can move on from that and it was a good setup for what i assumed would be the next season's conflict um and it set up our man showing up and saying you need to change your ship and the idea that time travel was still very much happening, that there were other very prominent time travelers, possibly time masters, Mm -hmm. that were coming to protect the team. And we sort of felt like the time masters and more alien races might possibly be involved. Or like even just the time pirates coming back, some sort of ex-time masters thing. Like Rip can't, the the Oculus Rift blowing up cannot have killed all the time masters, and yet here we are. So I'm going to talk about 
how none of that happened because I think if you've watched the show, we both we all know if you've watched the show, none of that happened. None of that happened. What was... we need to talk about is why. Because, you know, even on shows that air on the CW, I understand how television works. I understand that certain things are stripped down and deserialized to create things that people can kind of watch episode to episode and not really be obligated to keep up with on a weekly basis. Um, however, there is a big difference between a few episodes that aren't tied into a larger continuity and allow for viewers to sort of pick up and drop the show as they please and throwing out the baby with the bathwater, which very much happened here. Like even on the other CW DC TV kind of shows, um, the flash does not drop its plot lines like this. Arrow does not drop its plot lines like this. So the question is why did legends? And the answer is Mark Guggenheim doesn't like when other shows do well. Um, Arrow has been tanking in the ratings le recently because they made the very stupid decision to kill off Laurel Lance, a.k.a. the Black Canary, a.k.a. most of the reason I give a shit about Green Arrow. Like, 90% of the reason anyone likes Ollie is because of Dinah, and that's it. That's if, comics canon, Don't by the at way. me if you're a Green Arrow <laughs> fan. I literally... I, 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 go <laughs> I mean, like, you can at us, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say, it's really unfortunate that you think that way. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I thanks. sorry you think com in a completely wrong way. <laughs> I appreciate and always have and always will, but that's not my personal problem. I appreciate Errol Flynn rising from the grave to give me his hot take on Twitter, but unless you are that way, I don't think you're gonna really give a shit if I say the Green Arrow isn't that interesting. However, um, the ratings have been tanking is a pretty much direct result of this, and. Also, I have on pretty decent authority that a lot of the other showrunners who are not on Arrow are not fans of Mark's. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem to be an easy person to work He's with. He's not an easy person to work with, and people who run the two very happy shows on DC TV do not like working with him. Mm -mm. Um, and, you know, again, that's all like And I cannot say. tell you how I know that. But you can trust me on this. Yeah, it's all hearsay and gossip, admittedly. But this is the sort of thing where word tends to get around in um, the entertainment industry like this. Uh, you know, the you didn't hear it from me, but this guy's a total jerk. Don't work with him type. Um, so let's focus on why Mark Guggenheim would specifically want to make sure that this show got ruined and how he did it. Um, and... Um, let's focus on the Fanagarian issue. Yeah. Uh, I submit to you that, and this is the crux of my argument, the Dominators in the crossover episode were not meant to be the Dominators at all. They were meant to be the Thanagarians, and this was meant to be a crossover that would kind of bring Legends of Tomorrow into the fold as a bigger show. Because as it stands right now, because of the fact that it is something that actually really appeals to me as a person and a comics fan, which is a ton of B-listers all hanging out on the same team, mm -hmm. I've always had a bigger fondness for B-listers because I feel like their plots and narrative arcs can have more closure. Yes. Um, but they were supposed to kind of be inducted into the, the fold of the larger DC family and brought back into continuity rather than just dicking around on their spaceship, meddling in the affairs of uh, irrelevant timeline stuff um, in this crossover because it was very suddenly going to be about Kendra and Carter and thus the team because Kendra and Carter went from kind of bouncing from being on The Flash, I think, for yeah. two episodes. And Kendra's then on The Flash. Kendra's on The Flash. They were they were the crux of the first Flash Arrow crossover. Okay. So, and so it kind of makes sense that they would have been the crux of the next one. That's kind of called continuity. Uh-huh. 
and it makes sense we are set up at the end of the season one of legends of tomorrow for this idea that sanagar is coming and now that the team the team has chosen to make the sacrifice of getting rid of the time masters and thus because they Although, made that decision we'll have to get rid of the i Thanagarians. will say um as soon as season one ended sierra sort of immediately started being like i'm not going to be on season two and so this may have been because you know i don't know how far ahead this was planned I don't know if this was someone's because they did mention the Thanagarians around episode 15, I 15. believe. 15. And there was that three-month gap. so who knows exactly when it was told to Falcon Sierra, like, no, we're done with this plot line. Because then at San Diego Comic-Con, Mark was like, oh, I was just emailing Falcon Sierra this week. And, like, we'll see what he says at this Comic-Con because people still kind of are like, hey, where are the Hawks? And, and you know, I know some reviewers are like, oh, we don't need to see them again. And I'm like, they're literally iconic comic characters in a show that doesn't really have those like those are like hawk girl herself is an a-lister hawkman in the 21st century has been more of a b-lister but he's still connected to a larger comic canon by virtue of being but he is hawkman like yeah he is they are big and they are like there are something i think even crossover was so bizarre because all that happened with you know they kind of wanted a fake justice league because and you can look at this mark is very very upset about the dc entertainment universe he does not well because jeff johns has said a lot of really sort of nasty things about arrow and jeff johns is earned is kind of in the justice league films and stuff and he feels he and steven feel very very bitterly about this and, and super shafted which is really funny good shaft them harder here's the I'll thing i'll hand you a shaft to do it with <laughs> jeff johns and i don't see eye to eye on literally anything other than the fact that arrow is a garbage fire so this is very much a case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend hey jeff um thanks thanks for uh this one the stopped clock is right twice a day sort of thing going on here but hey Dan. <laughs> it is something where, you know, I'm not saying that they literally ran in last minute and said, never mind, you you, you already wrote all the script, just white out Vanagar and change, change it to Dominator World, um, wherever the Monstars but came from in Space Jam. The crossover just was such a mess. It was it bad. felt It felt, that's what I mean. It this felt is, fl- very flat, and the Legends episode itself didn't even, you know, all... I mean, there was Arrow's 100th, which was really just there to be Arrow's 100th and talk about Arrow. I don't yeah. understand why that had to be involved in the crossover. Just scheduling, I think, really. I mean, it was just scheduling. And Arrow's 100th was actually one of the only good episodes of Arrow ever. That's really that's really unfortunate. <laughs> oh, um, oh, there are so many people that are so mad about that. They're like, you wasted your 100th episode. I'm like, no, they wasted about 99, 99 episodes. <laughs> but, you know, this is the sort of thing where the crossover is the number one indicator that something very hastily got spackled over in the plot line for this season. I'm not saying that it was last minute, but I am saying that they very clearly had another idea about where the season was going yes. to go, and a because few things they changed it. even brought up nth metal bars in an episode of Supergirl this season. They were clearly going for something involving you know, Thanagar. You yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think, I think, I have to admit, again, tinfoil hatting slightly, I do think Falcon Sierra leaving was, was a bit of a power struggle because between Mark and... The two of them. The we other. don't know what happened there, and, like, that's the big thing, is at the end of the day, it falls on the cast, and it falls on, and this is something we do not know, who is the one who decided to walk, and who is the one that wanted to continue this plot, and we don't know. We don't know, but 
it feels, given what we know of Mark Guggenheim's behavior and the ongoing rivalries here, it seems like there was very much, not just with the Dominators... It seems like even outside of Falcon Sierra, there was a real power struggle. There was an attempt to very much keep the Legends out of the main canon and not having any effect on anything that was going so on like, in Phil, the So, like, Phil, if you're DC out there, universe. that does suck, and we're kind of sorry. Yeah, no. Because, like, Phil, you actually do a pretty decent job. I know we give you a hard time, but it's with love. When we speak of Mark, there's, there's no, no love. There's not even an... In when that. I speak his name, I then have to spit to yeah. clear my mouth. Yeah. It's it's very much one of those things where I understand and am sympathetic to a certain extent about the disjointed mess this season became because it very much smacks of, we wanted to do one thing, we're told we couldn't do that, fought for it, and lost, and as a result kind of had to cobble together plot. We also had the other slightly more minor issue of, it wasn't really an issue, but Arthur went to go do Broad Church, and congratulations, yeah. it was very big deal. How dare you fucking want to be a talented actor that gets fucking recognition, Arthur? He, you need to stay on trash sci-fi programs where I can ship you with people. How dare you? Jesus Christ. I'm very proud <laughs> of him. Never shave your beard. Never. Um, I'm very proud of him. I think he did a good job, and we're rooting for you. Arthur, you're so talented. However, that <laughs> That did admittedly, that didn't, I mean, fair, same, but I think the issue here is if you look at the first half of the season, that's where you get hit really hard by the utter and complete lack of plot, quote unquote. For the first four episodes pre-crossover, it is basically killing time. We There have, is no build-up to this crossover, and there's no real build-up to any, in the, any of the other shows to the crossover, but it still doesn't feel as disjointed because at least they had a plot they were doing. Uh-huh. Crossover went back to the plot. Yeah. With Legends, it was they no They weren't plot. even allowed that. Crossover... Spear? What? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that... Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yes. Profit. We very much had the issue... Oh my god, I've just figured out what it looks like in the in the writer's room. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it is, um, you know, the first three episodes of the season, and also the fact that Mark deliberately inserted himself into writing the two... Most racist episodes of the season. Yes. Oh god, yeah. But like the first few episodes of the season, he had a lot more involvement in, and in the first season, he didn't come on as a writing credit until episode 11. He was a writing credit in the pilot that, that and then count. in episode 11 and then in the finale yeah. and that was all we saw of him in season yeah. one yeah the pilot does not count because he would have to put his grubby little hands in that but that very and much reads to me also of him. Ari, do you want to talk about what it means to be an executive producer on the show because he is an ep and so i think some people think that means it has a lot more involvement here's than the does. thing is it does television is actually more of a producer's medium than a director's medium and this is something very important to keep in mind is it doesn't necessarily matter who's directing it matters who's writing that week, and who's producing the show. He's always um, listed as a producer. He's always listed as a producer, so he's always got some sort of pull because he's part of the reason the show is getting made. Um, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But it is very much, he does have some sort of influence in every episode, whether we like it or not. But the fact that he sought to deliberately insert himself into the first couple episodes of Legends kind of furthers that whole power struggle kind of thing where he's trying to kind of insert himself into the narrative and boost his ego because of Arrow's tanking ratings. Yeah. Um, this is not a very Mark Guggenheim-friendly episode, so I didn't think anyone oh, expected yeah, that. Yeah, by the way, um, none of this is official. We don't have any actual, like, you know, this is all just uh, speculation and... This is purely speculative. Yeah. Like, Even though we've said things, this is purely speculative. Super duper speculative. S super duper speculative. So, uh, see you in court, bitch. Yeah, no, this is, this is, um, 
it is very much something where, and we're only talking about how this applies to what was executed on the show. This has nothing to do. We're not saying that he's a bad person for doing this or anything like that. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. All of this is alleged. We have this no... Is, yeah. The allegations here are mostly in relation to how this was executed in terms of the show and this season. Um, that being said, the because fact... he is allegedly a fucking piece of shit. Yes. And the first couple episodes of the season something being something he worked on um, is very indicative to me of him wanting to get involved and sort of put his hands Honestly, in the pie a little quicker. The biggest indicator to me of this whole mess is the fact that the Hour Man thing was completely dropped. Oh, they didn't even get they, they. That to me is the biggest indicator that there was a problem here and that they intended to go somewhere that they were not allowed to go. Not just the Thanagar setup, but the Hour Man thing because it is so bizarre and dreamlike because they even allude to the idea that he doesn't know them and doesn't remember this by like the second episode and yeah, he's like i've never met these people in my life eobard thon kills him and it's never it. brought up again never and we don't know and we have no idea what the frick happened and we're never going to so that very much feels like a decisive fuck you to that plot line in a way that really sucks because that could have been way more interesting than whatever the fuck we got mm -hmm. um the season started to pick up again after the shrieking racism of the of the Shogun and the slavery episode, which was, I literally had to turn the TV on mute at a certain point during the slavery episode. I had people coming in and out of the house. I'm like, they're going to think that I am a KKK member with this fucking episode on. It is that racist. I was embarrassed to be seen watching that episode in a way that I'm not with the rest of the show. I it, mean, she, we're always a little embarrassed. A little embarrassed, but not like I mean, that it level. Was so every that was person, moral embarrassment. Every person I spoke to who had like started watching that episode like live was like, I turned it off. Yeah. I could not keep watching. And that's a very early season episode to have something that bad that early With in the season. With his name attached to it. Uh -huh, that is a very good way. And it's one way. of those things where you almost think speculatively that he's capitalizing he on the fact. knows better. You would think that people would know better and this kind of thing wouldn't get made and that you wouldn't want to do something like this unless you were intentionally trying to drive something into the ground, speculatively, allegedly. Well, that's the thing is because I think we, we have reached a point where we can all kind of agree slavery bad. Um, but, you know, this very much, I do feel like it's a, de a deliberate attempt to drive away new viewers because it's very uncomfortable subject material. It's a very abrupt shift in tone. It's bizarre. It's literally the Civil War, but with zombies, and the zombies are completely irrelevant to the plot. Could have dropped them with zero Yeah, it was never whatsoever. explained to us why there were zombies. It was never important for them to contain that aberration. Like, the, the whole concept of aberrations got completely thrown out the window, and we will cover that later. This was created as an attempt to push away new viewers. And you wouldn't think that would happen in a show that hasn't always gotten great ratings and kind of gets scoffed at by people who are like, why would anyone watch the show? It's mm -hmm. a bunch of B-listers. And for Mark Guggenheim to do that, it feels a little weird because I think most people can agree this is a heavy episode. Imagine if the season had started with the World War One episode. How many people would still be watching after that? Because the first I season... I don't even think we would be. Oh, God. The first season was like wacky sci-fi hijinks and silly adventures. And a lot and of... I've this. seen some reviewers be like, and this season is a lot wackier and it's finding its place and then just jumping from time period to time period. And I'm like, what's it like living a life where you can just ignore blatant racism in episodes like that? You can excuse racism? Yeah, like, exactly. It's literally because, you know, they're comics TV reviewers. Yeah. So 
I would also argue that I these are the people that think Monel is a good character. Oh Christ. I would actually argue this season has been becoming more detached from anything of greater importance in the universe, and that is another indicator that they very much want this show yeah, to kind this of go show in the by the end of season two was so unimportant to the greater DCTV universe. Like Supergirl is more important and that's another Earth. (laughs) And that kind of shows you that is kind of something went wrong screen. Yes, that is very much the culmination of something. So I think we can summarize sort of this part, you know, because we are going to now go into what went wrong. Yes. But I think you can summarize this as part of the reason something went wrong wrong and part of the reason it went wrong was because of that struggle for relevance between alleged struggle for relevance between the dueling producers of speculatively all of the myriad dc tv productions so that created some difficulties behind speculative difficulties behind the scenes that allowed for combined with half of the cast technically because we lost wentworth we lost sierra we lost falk we lost arthur so it's four people out of a nine person cast so about half of the cast suddenly fucking off for parts unknown Um, and it was very very obvious that they were like i love the cast i love Maisie, i love the white guy <laughs> sorry nick. nick we love we nick i'm so sorry i i love you i promise i do just not as much as i love Maisie. but um it was a very sort of Abrupt obvious departure. loss and i think we should talk about that we should later but ultimately this created something really awkward with the first half of the season that made it very apparent to mm-hmm. new viewers that something was going on behind the scenes which is a shame because that meant i think a lot of people who might have been encouraged to try the show on its second season did drop it okay and also um this is probably going to end the part of the podcast that could get us considered uh, libelous all right, so Ari, now that we've talked sort of technically about what we allegedly think allegedly went wrong with season two, allegedly, can we go over sort of like, you know, the nitty gritty, what we liked about the season, t- this season, what we didn't like, you know, just sort of how form- format function, is that is that the phrase yeah. you want to use? A form and function, yeah, no, that's, I think that's what you want to okay, talk sure, about. let's go with it. All right. Uh, you want to go first? Okay. I sure, sure. I will go first. Um, I think the thing with this season is there were a lot of gaps left by there not being Len and Kendra and Rip, and that's not a reflection um, on Nate and Amaya at all because they were really great additions, and it's also not the kind of you know, sometimes teams will leave a member behind and there's this sort of mean-spirited leaving out of that character in both show and fandom. And it wasn't wow, that at I all. I wonder who we could be talking about. I, I don't know what I could be talking about either. That's but so it weird. wasn't it wasn't that at all. You know, mm-hmm. they still are sort of, you know, part of the, like, you know, the open invitation is there. And every time we don't see Carter and Kendra, that just means they're off having a happy ending in every well, that's the interpretation of, of that fucking sentence. So whatever. But... Yeah. No. Oh, God, I hate myself. But um, the thing is, it's just... I think because the show waffled so much and because the plot was so loose in the first half of the season, it just was so, so obvious that they did not know what to do without these people. I mean, it wasn't even just, 
I think ultimately the issue with losing Len and Kendra, and I love that we're like, yeah, and I guess Carter, uh, RIP nope. to uh, him, him. Like, yeah, no, it doesn't matter that we lost Carter. <laughs> but um, it is it is something where if they had kind of established how the team was really doing without Len and Kendra and Rip a little better, that would have been one thing. But they basically had two choices in the start of the season while they were killing time for the crossover. They could either flesh out Nate and Amaya's characters and make sure that we understood that they were significant parts of the team now that um, had a lot of their own story arcs and plot points and characterization, or they could emphasize how much the team had lost by losing Len and Kendra and how different that made them and how much that affected characters who were close to them, like Ray and Nick, or you could have done either of those things, but ultimately they did neither. And that's kind of the problem. Um, remember? The show... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, the show for the first three episodes is like, the first episode is kind of a, we get the band back together and we establish that Rip is going to be gone for the first part of the season. Why the fuck was Oliver Queen there? Every time Oliver fucking Queen shows up in Legends of Tomorrow, I just want to hit him in the face with a bat for daring to be near people that are actually good. No, same. I feel like it's a contractual thing because you know, he's in or the like, first and the fact that Sarah Flash. has to be like nice to him, and I'm like, that feels oh. crazy. I'm like, Sarah, not just immediately it, going, "What up, Oliver? You hetero bitch." That's not. That's not in character. You're writing her of, wrong. Like, it kind of makes me a little upset that she's like expected to be nice to him after he basically ruined her sister's life. But I'm not going to get into that here. Um, we will I get think, into that at another we will time. We'll do it though. later. Um, just a podcast that's called uh Stephen Amell can't sue us for this Jesus uh it is something Stephen Amell doesn't know how to call a lawyer how dare you but um it is something where I feel like it's definitely some sort of contractual thing because the first episode of The Flash she showed up to be like Barry that bolt of lightning chose you I emissary of Zeus have decreed it to be so and it was weird and he shows up in the first season of, of the first I mean the first episode of the first season of Legends as well it's just got to be some to be weird like thing. uh yeah Ray you should definitely leave you should definitely leave right now and Ray's like but what about all the fun friendship things we had planned to do together god damn it Ray um it is something where the first episode was like a pretty Can okay I getting and ask you something really quickly Yes. If I hit Stephen Amell across the face, I'm sorry. You know, let's not get personal. You know what? He is a he is a person. He is not a character. If I hit the character, arrows Oliver Queen across the face with a bat, do you think it would make him look better? Fifty fifty. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, he could go okay. handsome Squidward, but he could also go in the other direction. Yeah, he could just go regular Squidward. Um. I'm sorry, are you implying to me right now that you would have sex with Squidward? I that you would never have sex Squidward? with Oliver Queen, handsome Squidward or otherwise, so no. That's uh, not what I'm saying at all. Why are you getting upset that I'm... Well, I, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know what, what? you're right. I don't know. I was why? going for the joke, and then it got weird. Why did you imply that you would have sex with Squidward? I Squid didn't imply that. You I asked just... me because apparently you're picturing it. Oh no, my God. I'm not. No, no, I, this, this conversation is over. Cut it. Edit it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to my point. 
Um, the gang getting the band back together was like a good episode. It it, it didn't, you know, it was a serviceable opening. For Rewatching the it, I like it more because I like Nate now. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing about watching a lot of the first half of the season with the second half of the season in mind is that Nate is a thousand times more endearing because a lot of the reason we didn't like him was because we were worried he was going to go the full mon and he didn't. So knowing... He did not. And so, you know, like, looking at him now, I'm like, oh, my sweet baby boy. What? Like, I mean, like... boy. I want to put a hat on him. Heart. Jesus. He is a sweetheart, and it was really nice to kind of watch the rest of the first half of the season with that in mind, because, like, hey, it's a cute way to re rediscover a character that you didn't know that you were going to appreciate so much, and that's cute. That's fun. So the Justice Society of America episode comes off a little better in the context of, like, now we actually are like, oh, Nate's a good boy, so this is a good episode. But Nate, ultimate- very sweet, very good he ended up being really good. Like that was the good thing about the season is that it didn't fall into traps that other CW superhero shows did during its second season and managed to keep its new characters really engaging and sweet and didn't make them feel detrimental or uh, superfluous. That's the word I wanted superfluous to the plot. Um, so yeah, sorry. I had to think about it. Every time um, I look at that word, I want to pronounce it superfluous. So yes. It, it liter- it, what the f- same i hate us i can't be surprised anymore because we have the same goddamn brain but it is something where the first half of the season's main issue is that it simply just didn't know where it was going um knowing down well we didn't know that at the time um so it's it's an i'm trying to read this the best way to watch the first season is knowing that the second season, the second half of the season is not going to be very good. And I hate to say that, but it is the truth because I can enjoy the solo episodes like the Chicago, the Chicago way episode was adorable. One of the best episodes of the season, easily the best of the first half of the season, if only because Nate angrily asking Ray, Oh my God, you've never seen the untouchables was probably what sold me on his character it really established his personality. The second Ray liked Nate, I was like, Nate is acceptable. He is yeah. in the oh, which, God, is, yeah. which is not all because Ray likes everyone. So that can't always be my gauge. But, but it is it is a good indicator and I like the show is usually smart enough to use Ray as an indicator of someone's morality, and that's a good thing. They are very good at saying this character is a good person and you should know that because Ray has has a bond with them. Uh, we see it with Mick and Len. We see it with Nate. I mean, to a less extreme case, because Nate wasn't like Nate was not a, like you know Nate was just a was a nerd. No, but it but was at a this good point. Way- yeah, at this point, white nerd guys do need to prove that they're not horrible people. Like, <laughs> like more so than I would even say Mick and Len do. <laughs> yeah, but it is something where because he hangs out with Ray, we can trust him, and I think it's interesting that the show did utilize that to improve the audience's relationship with a new character. Um, I mean, what I was going to say earlier is, remember when Rick Perry uh, fucked up the five things you need to shut down, and he just said, oops? Oops, yes. And John Stewart goes, ooh, my race for the presidency. I just spilled it. Oops. That's me in the Legends writing. Oh, the show, we just spilled it. Oops, and that to me is this season. Like, I love these characters, and I will still kind of be like, hey, don't you shit on this show. It's not Arrow. 
Not it's literally it's not, not Supergirl. Look at what fucking yeah. happened over there. Uh huh. You want to see a second season really go into the shitter? Look at Supergirl. Like, like by you that. Know what? I guess that's kind of why I'm like not as bad as it could have been. And then I like the... punch in a victory free frame <laughs> because nobody got emotionally abused long term yeah, the, the in a way that is... was supposed to be romantic. Okay, the bar is really low here. God, we get the that. Bar is so fucking low. Bar is super low. We we get that. However, um, I think the thing is is watching the first season, a uh, half of the season, is there are some individual solid episodes, and that makes for an enjoyable rewatch. Again, I really like the Chicago way. Uh, the second episode is also worth a watch, even though it still kind of falls into that trap of. Uh, the 40s and the 50s were super bad and sexist and, and and women are better now. And that's why we have the worst president alive right now in the history of anything. Uh, I can't wait really to see know. how he stacks up to the, uh, the the guys in the 20s that just fucked everything up. He is. I, you know, not to, not to do a tangent, but I was literally just reading about the history of gangster films in America today. And they talked about, like, the Gilded Age and Warren G. Harding and the Teapot Dome stuff. And the more I was reading that, the more I was like, oh, my God, we're just reliving the Gilded Age. Why are we just reliving? Why everything is happening again? why like you don't think we could have learned it feels like every hundred years we have to forget every lesson we learned a hundred years ago and just do the same stupid thing over again uh which would actually be a really interesting angle of history for legends of tomorrow to explore but this is not a show that's really great at history no, you know despite... no no this is not timeless my beloved timeless. god no well that's the interesting thing is now that I've said that this is a show that I think this is part of where season two struggles it cannot decide if it wants to do Doctor Who time travel or more realistic or timeless um we the thing about Doctor Who is despite the fact that it's about time travel it's also about space adventure so the doctor does not necessarily need to travel to a time period in history on earth the doctor can go to planet Zaprooter and hang out with nebulars and stuff. So you're allowed a little more flexibility, but Legends also wants to do that and then place itself in World War II for no adequately explored reason. It tries to do sci-fi by way of historical fiction and does not do a good job at it. It can't. I think it wants to almost go for like a steampunkish kind of vibe, but Look, I have without- to see those motherfuckers in steampunk clothing next season. I'm gonna Listen lose to my fucking mind. I, I will. I. I. So will I. I will rip my own eyes from my head well, and hold them I in mean, my hands like I'm in awe of real monsters. Yes, hundred percent. Also, very underrated classic Q show. Yes, That's not the yes, point. Yes. The, the point. The point is, is I really hope they don't go in that direction because steampunk has become this front for a bunch of gross white nationalist types. But God, they got. They just ruin everything. Oh God! <sighs> Sorry, Speaking we're just. I guess people, we're just a bit with a baseball bat. Seriously, um, the issue with the first half of the season is mitigated by the fact that I know that the second season, the second half of the season, I keep calling it the second season, is going to be much worse. Um, I know that sounds unfair, but it's true. <laughs> so. The first half of the season's number one issue is it was just aimless. It was very clearly killing time. And I remember as I was watching it live thinking, why is this happening? 
what's going on this season? Why should I care about what is happening right now? I have no idea how this is going to tie into the larger plot. And ultimately, very little of it did. Most of the first season, half of the season, is the gang kills time. And the gang also develops emotional bonds. This came back to bite them in the ass in the second half because we saw a lot of certain relationships in the first half of the season. But because of the huge gap between when they were brought up again in the second half of the season and when they were first established, certain things didn't make a lot of sense. We... The two of us were re-watching certain scenes with Mick and Amaya or Mick and Ray and going, oh, right, that's why they wrote that thing the way they did at the end of the season. But if you are a casual viewer, and ultimately TV is written for a casual audience, you or at least tries to be. You level nerds. We have to understand, like, that is, TV is written for the lowest common denominator at the end of the day, especially CW television. Mm-hmm. So the fact Ooh, that classic. they... Don't be mad at me. It's not classist. It's absolutely elitist. I agree. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not gonna. This has nothing to do with actual literal, like class. This has everything to do with I spend too much time watching television. Um, this show is not like it's not on HBO, is what I'm saying. I mean, even they, HBO at this point is. Well, HBO also indulges in a certain level of. I, we're not getting into it here. No, I'll no, talk we're about not. It later. Keep going. Sorry. My point is, um, this is the kind of show where they cannot expect the average viewer to understand and remember why it's important that Mick asks Amaya to come with him when he goes and joins the Legion temporarily. It doesn't make sense because you had that episode about them bonding and Amaya thinking he could really be a good person and tame the darkness inside of him. Uh, that aired like six months ago, buddy. Uh, no one's remembering that. I didn't remember it at the time of the airing, and I consider myself a relatively invested watcher of the show. So there was a huge problem with character development and relationship development beats because they happened at such inopportune moments that when they came back for a payoff, you'd forgotten why they were there in the first place, so the payoff was worthless. If anything, Mick and Stein bonding should have been relegated to the first half of the season because while that was very sweet and I liked it, it didn't end up being very important to the conclusion of the season, so that would have been better served as happening in the first half and the second half having more Mick and Amaya and Mick and Ray because those are the relationships that ended up being very important to Mick's character arc at the conclusion of the season. Um, It becomes very difficult to watch a show that doesn't seem to understand why it's writing what it's writing and why events are happening in the order that they are. And I will say that because here's the thing is I realized a few weeks ago, actually, the characters don't remember Doomworld. They should not remember Doomworld because the versions, the reversions of themselves that lived it have already died or disappeared or whatever. There is no reason for them to remember Doomworld, and if they do, it will make no sense. And yet, that's the end of the season. So that gives you an idea of the problems we're working with in the second half of the season. While there were some really good points of it, and it did finally understand where the hell it was going with its plot by throwing the Lance of Longinus, which is just never not an uncomfortable Oh god, it's never not going to be good. It's also connected to the Holy Grail, but then they didn't really... They they brought it up vaguely in Camelot, but not in the way you would think, because the Holy Grail is actually supposed to contain 
some of the blood of Christ at the Lance of Longinus. It, it, it's it's all connected in Grail yeah. myth. But are we gonna talk about how everything with Jesus and I mean, well, no, this isn't fair because in the DC TV, well, in the DC Comics universe, magic is one hundred percent real. Yeah. So it makes sense. Like you can't really be like, oh, it's silly that everything with Jesus one hundred percent happened because in like Justice League, the cartoon, like. Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl have to go to hell to put Hades back on the throne because otherwise, like, magic won't work right. That's really funny to me because that's a very watered-down plot point from um, a Sandman story arc, and... I bet you money that's what it is. That's... uh, No, I mean, it literally is. I've read that arc. Um, That's really bad. Because Hawkgirl and Wonder Woman had to learn how to be friends again. And then Diana is like, you know, I forgave you a long time ago. And Hawk and Shay are, are like, you f- I never H- asked for your forgiveness. Hold on, because I'm sorry. This is literally Morpheus goes to hell to free a lover that he cast into hell like 100 million years ago because he's kind of a dick. And that almost that exact same conversation happens word for word in that arc, which is the okay. arc. I just- Bruce okay. Tim calling you to the mat. What the fuck? I mean, and it's also relevant because when that when that cartoon was airing, Sandman would have actually probably still been in production. God damn it! My point is, Neil Gaiman's um, gonna sue the fuck out of us. I I doubt it. I actually I would if you do you sue fun. us, please bring your wife to court. I'm a huge fan. Uh, Jesus, but it's not that. Uh, where was I? All right, Lance of Longinus was at least an established plot point, and now we knew what had happened to Rip. That was the big thing. Um, now that we knew, oh God, Rip is doing so much LSD in the 70s with George Lucas, I was like, all right, fine, at least we know he's safe. It was a really nice callback, and it was a really good way to end the first half of the season, honestly. The ending five minutes of the first half of the season are really solid, and I remember the emotion I got when I was like, oh my God, he's okay, and he doesn't remember who he is, holy shit. Like, it was very... Um, and the episode where they're in the American Revolution, like, gave me such good pathos. Like, pathos I had not oh, gotten from this show in a long, long time. And I was like, oh my god, are we on the up and up? We were not, but it was we were, we were to on... have, and I enjoyed having it when it lasted. <laughs> well, this, this, this season can really be characterized as a roller coaster ride, and, like, not in a good way. Um, because you have a lot of, like, dicking around and like kind of sort of build up in the first half. I just want to clarify also I've mentioned before that I save the episodes as really silly things in my computer so Time Warner doesn't finger bang me and the Revolution episode is saved as I am sucking my own dick and dying because it was that heavy. It was really rough. It was rough on everybody. Um, That said... Sarah, you put one wash away blue streak in your hair. It was so bad. Um, It was just you know, and the rip the rip arc was really the peak of the season, and that's really frustrating because we still had like five episodes to go after it ended, and it's not good to have the best thing you're gonna do in the season resolved halfway through the season. They just could not get that same level. They didn't really know quite where to go with the rest of the season from there and decided to do the whole Doom World thing, which just made no sense. And ultimately, it is because the problem is, when in season one, we had Vandal Savage. He was connected to Kendra. He was connected to Rip. He was someone everyone on the team had reason to hate. And he also, most importantly, had no connections to outside heroes. We, in this season, have Damien Dark, Eobard Thawne, and Malcolm Merlin, all of whom are someone else's villains. It literally felt 
like they were on loan from their respective shows because their respective shows were off doing something else at the moment. There is no good reason why those three should have been the main villains of season two, other than the fact that they were just available. Hell, I, I would have been fine with just Eobard. I would have been fine with just Eobard, maybe because of timeline-related sh- shenanigans, but even then, he's Barry's thing. And it's makes it just doesn't I mean, I like Eobard, I think he's interesting, but he just there's he has no connection to anyone on the team. There's no one that's Len and Mick don't count really because they're not they have no connections to Thawne. Um there's no one on the team that has any kind of connection to him. If Cisco was with the Legends for whatever reason, it would have been interesting, but I should be so lucky. Um Dark, honestly, probably had the most in terms of... I mean, like, of, Merlin is the reason Sarah died, but, like, they don't but she's mention over that. that enough for it to really, you know... Like, it when Mad Savage was on screen, he was terrorizing either Rip or Kendra 24-7 because, like you said, television needs to remind your viewer every fucking week, like, here's Vandal Savage, and he's about to assault Kendra again because he's a bad guy. Yeah. Like, Malcolm Merlin killed Sarah Lance about three years ago. So if you do not have her bringing that up, or even the fact that Damien Dark killed her sister, like, she kind of drops that and then sort of brings she it did back. It for, they yeah, really she, kind of waver on it. And that's not Sarah's fault. That's Mark Guggenheim's fault again. Yeah, this is not Sarah. But they just could not be just like, they don't, you lose it. They like, didn't utilize the me. connections. Because there were it. some there, at least with the two of them. But they just didn't bother. There's really no reason for the two of them to be involved with Thawne. And there's no reason for Thawne to be in this plot line. Uh, there's, if they had been maybe tangling with the Speed Force somehow due to time travel shenanigans, it would have been one thing. But it really did. It's very frustrating for this show to go from having an excellent villain who was an active direct threat to this. Drug emoji? Yeah, there you was know, they no didn't reason even for... have consistent time pirates that they wanted to. Right, you could and like just... Dominic Purcell, even at San Diego Comic Con, was like, "Oh, it's a different kind of mood this season, and we're not all going to be standing around the table briefing ourselves." And I'm like, I liked that, Dominic Purcell, you fucking garbage man. Who I the fuck gave he... you the right, Dominic Purcell. Who I assume you? he wanted to go Don't out. Don't you have to play... be making political critiques on Instagram again, Grandpa? I'm sorry, that was really harsh. I'm sorry, Dominic. You don't have to do that. That was so mean. Number I one, I would... Dominic Purcell did not deserve to get red All like that. All he wants to do is go and fucking play horseshoes with Nick fucking Zano. Oh! Like, oh, I'm, oh, oh I'm so angry. Listeners, Ari and I, between the end of season two and me seeing that Nick Zano has a full shoulder cross tattoo, realized that Nick Zano was born and raised in New Jersey and is a goddamn meatball of a person. And also that DJ Catrona, who is also a meatball, follows him on Instagram, probably despite Ari personally at this point. And, and, and um, it, it, it's... It hurts. It's bad. It's bad. Because when you say Nick Zano, it's fine. But when you say Nicholas Zano, you're like, oh, my fucking God. Nicky Zano? I don't Uh, know. Nick Zano, if you're listening, if you show up at one of Ari's family barbecues, no one will notice. No one will notice. not related to them. No, I'm not a single person. I'm so upset because I'm like, how do you manage to play a character who is so respectful and loving to Amaya? Because I know Italian men, and yeah. you Can should Nick be Zano able do to a do a dish. 
Yeah, does Nick Cassano know how to do dishes? I'm so But that angry. does make Nate living with his mom make a lot more sense in Doom World. Oh my because God, he's yeah. hemophiliac in Doom World, so you know his mother was just like, my boy is too my... precious and rare and can't go out. Not only, not only is no woman good enough for him, the world isn't good enough for him. So he's going to live in this basement and he's going to like it. And and yeah, pretty much. I I mean, I the north the North Jersey side of my family, hundred percent, exactly like that. I think I think that was pretty spot on. Um, to get back to the whole issue with the villains, though, they really could have just had like an OC time pirate, maybe like a second Chronos. I don't know something. Maybe like, just Chronos again. That would have been weird as shit. Leave Mick alone. But like, yeah, I'm anything. really I'm so sorry, Dominic Purcell. You don't deserve. I really don't. I really want to apologize for my outburst earlier. (laughs) Yeah, where did that come from? Jeez. I don't know, because I actually agree with most of his political critique, actually. Right? It's just, it's done in a very, like... like, It's done in a way where, like, no, we're getting off topic. We're really getting off topic. Because we don't want to talk about this season, because it was a disaster. And also... Yeah, you know what? Let's, let's, Let's do something fun. Let's do... Favorite thing about this season, least favorite thing. Or, like, favorite moment of this season, least favorite moment. Okay. I'm going to – I want to split them into season one, two two B and two A. Because that would make more sense. Uh, You want to go first? Yes. Favorite moment in two A is when – it's actually split. It's between Amaya telling Mick, I don't think you're a bad guy, and Ghost Len splitting the heavens in jealousy. (laughs) It was literally right behind him. That was (laughs) – I, and Mick giving Ray Len's gun Fuck you, and telling him I that. need a partner. Which is funny because that comes at the tail end of my least favorite part of 2A, which is the slavery episode and the Shogun episode, which proved to me that white people, even though like I see so much critique of like people writing this kind of thing, like we were talking about privately earlier, white comics writers don't think it affects them and if they do they think that these people are just being social justice warriors or like haters and anyone who still uses the term hater in 2017 is a moron uh-huh so uh-huh. like that kind of sets up where we are yeah. what were your favorite and least favorites of 2a uh fuck you for taking when he i want to point out something though when he says i need a partner and gives him len's gun Ray points at himself and mouths me. Like he literally cannot believe, despite the fact that he has been consistently kind and gentle and good and took a beating for Mick and, and just has loved him with every fiber of his big stupid heart that Mick would want him in his life. And I'm so upset. Yeah. Because yeah. that's so Because Ray is the like, only person that stands up for Mick when everybody gets super OC at the end huh? of the fucking world war one episode like, and you can even... actually, if you look, you can actually see me live blogging, me turning myself inside out. Yeah, it was the worst. It was, it was, I just, he's so in awe of the fact that Mick would choose him. And that says, like, Ray is so, he can be very vain about his appearance, but he is so humble that it doesn't even, he, he's not like, oh, of course you'd want me to be your partner. I'm a genius. He's not, or not even like. This is a guy who makes billions, who's basically the DCTV equivalent of Steve Jobs with how they do Palmer Tech. And he is in awe that Mick, who is a who has not been treated well by life, who is coded as very mentally ill, coded as lower class, coded as a lot of bad things, basically, would pick him to be his partner. 
And he feels chosen. And then he tries and he to impress Mick all of the next episode. Uh-huh. And, it was. And, and then Mick says, I mean, I, okay, okay, one more was, and like, and this is the thing, is like when we get down to the nitty gritty character stuff and the characters we love, we get very enthusiastic, like talking about Mick saying to Ray, I don't want you to look like be Len, I want you to I be you. I just want you to be Ray. It's like, really that sweet. That was so good. It was so good. But that's the thing, is the character stuff this season was great, but they were very spotty about how it was applied. Yes. In places. But for the most part, it was pretty good, minus a few glaring examples um, of it not being that way. All right, what were your but, favorites and least favorites? Two-way. Well, that was my favorite, was Ray. Was, but yes, other yes. than that, I, because you already said it, other than that, I still have to actually go for Nate angrily interrogating Ray about whether or not he'd seen the untouchables because that, again, that was the moment where I think I said, Oh, I like you because he, well, I'm going to fucking kill myself because he, (laughs) I'm so angry. So he, (laughs) but it's the first sign of real, Like, he, before then, even, he'd kind of established himself as a friendly table lamp, and that was all well and good, but that was the first moment of, like, humor that he'd really gotten, and, like, little hints of indignation and frustration, and we got to see more of that in the second half of the season, like, when he's grumbling about how no one's dressing accurately for Camelot. Stuff like that made him super endearing. They didn't utilize it enough that Nate is a historian and would know little facets and details and tiny things that the team wouldn't pick up on about individual time periods. Just a fucking weave in the Japan episode, which is so, so bad. So bad. It was so bad. It was so bad. I, please don't talk to me about his Japan stuff in the Japan. It was the worst thing and I wanted to die. There you go. Um, Like we get it, Nate, like reading every issue of Inuyasha doesn't make you a fucking expert, Uh, Nate. Uh, how dare you? Well, actually, technically, no, but Roroni Kenshin is relatively... Yeah, I meant to say, I, how did you know I meant to say Roroni Kenshin? Because we're the worst fucking people alive. I meant to say that, and I said Inuyasha by accident, but I was literally thinking I had his picture in my head with his goddamn scar. I cannot stand us. I literally can't stand us. My point is, Roroni Kenshin is actually relatively historical, historically accurate. I remember my history book, freshman year of high school, brought it up, and I literally almost left class. I had a meltdown. Because <laughs> they were talking. The I'm not allowed. Going. I'm actually not allowed to be in a room with other people. <laughs> I have to leave immediately forever. It was so bad. Anyway, um, it was kind of the first flash of something genuine that we'd gotten that wasn't generic nice white guy and while that was fine especially in comparison to other white men introduced in season two of cw superhero shows um that was my first moment where i was like oh i love him he's gonna be a good boy and he was he was a a good boy he is a tiny noodle and if not that like i said before the last five minutes of the season with rip and the reveal of what rip had been doing were shot well acted well was funny but also a really good like reveal like that was solid so that was my favorite. To be. Okay. So on the lighter note, what was your favorite moment in To Be? Okay. Um, Amaya, I think, kind of really picked up like some steam in To Be that I really loved. Um, okay, her scene with Nate in the tent was so cheesy romance novel, but it was so cute. I can't So cute. I can't stand it. Also because Nick Zano is smooth like baby seal. They he's Italian. knowing that he's Italian, I'm like, oh god, how and they the whack so Beard. They waxed him like a fucking car. Like, 
that's a hell of a way to put it. But yes, they did. Oh my like, god, that you must have been able to hear his screams. Well, because he rose double. His like, mother how, fainted. Like his uh, mother in New away. Jersey could feel her son's pain the and statue. she fainted. Wherever he goes to the fucking Catholic church, whatever statue of the Virgin that's in that church started bleeding from the eyes and mouth. Like, she, <laughs> he, he grows stubble in the blink of an eye. So I know that he definitely had chest. And it just, it was a disaster. Well, that's not fair, because, like, Tim, my my person, who is very clearly Italian-American, grows stubble very, very quickly. You've seen it. But mm -hmm. only has seven chest hairs. I've counted. Okay. Well... I really hope to God they had to wax him just because, but you know what? Okay, it, um, other good moments were, um, some of Camelot was pretty deep. Sarah Lancelot was cute. I know we discussed. Sarah Lancelot, well, because I was so mad because I've been talking about her being Sarah Lancelot. Sarah is Rips Lancelot in terms of, yeah. For a whole but season. But also, and again, Mick saying, Ray's a pain in the ass, but I'm not going to let him fight alone. Oh, we're talking about 2B, the entire fucking revolution episode. Like, I know I was talking about, like, all of Rip and Sarah and Rip and Sarah and Jax, and then the Christmas ending where they're all toasting each other. Well, that, that was, was sort of like, thing. that ending when Sarah goes, nobody fights like family was the best thing. Like, oh, yeah. possibly in the world? Well, that's the thing. is That was the episode where I started going, hold on. I think they definitely meant, did meant to air this. This, I... That episode was excellent because I think that was meant to be the season 2A finale pre-crossover. And they were going to kind of scoop the rip plot line further along in the season. Um, because A, it's a Christmas episode, which is an incredibly incongruous thing to air mid-February, I think it was. Unless you're on fucking Cartoon Network and you're doing Christmas in July. Well, that was... Gumball's done that a few... Gumball did that with the Sluzzle Tag episode yeah. because that actually... But that, when will Legends do a Sluzzle Tag episode? 100%. It's in character. But, Legends, please take all of your cues for season three from the amazing world of Gumball. Every fucking cue. And not even joking. That, Just do it. Yeah, 100%. percent it. would be excellent. My point is... Um, that was definitely meant to be the season 2A finale because A, it's a Christmas episode, which would make more sense if it had been airing around when the finale would have aired, which would be like mid like mid-December uh B it was one of the best episodes of the season and you kind of want to end your mid-season on a high note um and it just ultimately really felt it was a fantastic episode but it feels very out of place because of the setting and the fact that it very clearly was not supposed to air when it was yeah. supposed to air but that from that episode I think my the best moment was definitely rip just kind of quietly like he was like all right i'll die and like i love that they he you look he like a new villain from candyland that just steals twizzlers no in all seriousness there is something very good about the fact that just his he'd been completely brainwashed and rearranged and whatever and i actually have talked at length about how interesting i find that kind of brainwashing but they could not take away his mental illness um and his deep deep depression ptsd and suicidal tendencies and as grim as that is, there is something kind of comforting to see a character who is very clearly mentally ill not having that mental illness erased when they're brainwashed because this is a kind of... The, all the DCTV shows really like curing disability or handling disability poorly. So to have Rip still get to be mentally ill it is pretty nice. There's some weird satisfaction to it and it's just a very well-acted scene. I'm also just picturing Eobard in his head like... I guess whatever. You've already yeah. just had like, no, it's actually pretty problematic for me to remove his mental illness. 
I don't want to be ableist, guys. Um, that you faked being in a wheelchair. I okay, okay. <laughs> Let's not, not point fingers. Do not get me fucking started. God, this is what I mean. <laughs> okay, okay. Worst, worst, worst of two B. I think we can both agree what they did to Len. What they did to Len and the whole the scene. If we want to focus on a specific scene, the scene where they're all like, "Yeah, maybe Mick is a total scumbag," because it came out of nowhere. Yeah, it, there it, is they nothing in the season. It on us like, like they, I because they like only did it. Dropping what you think is a baby, but it's just a bag of centipedes. Or you know what? They did drop the baby, but he dropped the baby from sky high. So now the baby is a fucking puddle on the goddamn (laughs) ground. So the store fucking dropped the baby a little early. And I honestly think that you could summarize Legends of Tomorrow season two as, unfortunately, the stork dropped the baby a little early. Fuck. All right, this is this oh my is getting God, we're going to hell. This is this is grim. This we're is really grim. We're gonna move on. I mean, I think we've said worse, but that was pretty bad. However, there, they. I mean, like, Stephen Mellon is so bad. pretty high from the stork, and he's okay. <laughs> but that scene is more frustrating now, knowing that it was only done because they needed Mick to work with the Doom World plot. And the Doom World plot is so fucking it frustrating sucked. because it, was it made no you sense. Wrong. People was who like the episode on IMDb are stupid. <laughs> they're stupid and they're wrong. And I will go to their door and tell them that. I'm literally, like, angrily flapping my hands because I... I I was flapping my arms. Fuck, I hate us so much. But it was... scaring my baby boy. I have a pet snake now. bad. It was so bad. And it was so frustrating because this was the payoff. I was hoping maybe in the season finale we could get a little closure for the clusterfuck the season has been. We got whatever the fuck the opposite of that is. We got two lens this season. We got a Len who in 2A, like, possibly is. Like, it was never explained. Is he a time aberration? Is he not? Because he does legitimately care about Mick. Mick says, I'll be dead like you. And Len says, very softly, and then what? And then vanishes. He loves him. But then in in 2B, we get this Len who's like, oh, I just messed with Mick a little bit, and I'm going to let him settle in it. And I'm like, who the fuck is this? It was bad. It was bad. The whole thing was bad. Um, it was so it was frustrating. Like Miller read the script and was like, who the fuck is this? And they were like, we're adding a zero to your check. And he's like, mm, fine. Fine. But it is Oh, I hate you. Doom World was a... Not Hell. super insulting that they basically retconned the finale to their own show because no, none of them should remember Doom World. And if they do, it's a giant plot hole. But the fact that this was the resolution to a season that had already been kind of shaky on plot says to me that they had no clue where they were going or what they wanted to do. And ultimately, Doomworld feels like Mark Guggenheim wanted to make sure that we knew that he thinks Laurel Lance deserves to be dead. You could argue all of Doomworld was leading up to Sarah saying, no, I'm not going to bring my sister back because Mark Guggenheim hates Laurel Lance. I'm not saying allegedly what he has against Katie. I don't know it if has, girls I don't like know Katie about that. rejected him in high school and he's still mad about it. But That's I would reject you allegedly. in high school now, five minutes from now, when the fuck ever, I would push you off a building allegedly. 100%. That, I'm, I'm just talking about Laurel Lance, the character. That's not allegedly. Everything else, allegedly. 
he has such contempt for Laurel Lance as a character. It is evident in everything he writes. And all of Doomworld seems to have just been leading up to having him say, having her say about herself, really, I deserve to be dead. It's fine if I'm dead. You don't have to worry about me, Sarah. And that is so ugly. And to make Legends a show I really enjoy complicit in this in this just this destruction of Laurel Lance is so ugly and the fact that that really because does again, kind they of... really Sarah sort of mentions it at the beginning of season two then drops it then brings it up again at the end of it and it's like of course they're gonna drop it again because they already dropped it yeah oh yeah but it felt unnecessary and yet and yet, despite the fact that it felt unnecessarily unnecessary and cruel to Laurel, it was arguably the only reason they did Doomworld. Um, you could basically say, because again, what did this plot achieve? What was the point of this? There's nothing that's real or lasting from the situation, except for the fact that the writers really wanted us to know that Len and Laurel are going to stay dead. Um, Laurel more so than Len, because there is... I think Len might be brought back on the Flash. I think they kind of want to let the Flash do that because he's a Flash villain. But it's very ugly to have the season finale of this um, of this show, and basically, and Sarah being like, "Yeah, all right. I guess if Laurel says she wants to stay dead, she can stay dead." I mean, honestly, you should have just also the, the, the drinking. Oh God, please! That I really I, such a moment of disrespect. That's like, very it, upsetting oh, for me to talk about bad. personally. For a lot of reasons, Fuck. so I'm gonna say, yeah, pretty much. I don't have. I. It's really upsetting. I don't want to talk about it. So what it boils down to? Fuck you guys. That was fucking nasty. That was evil. That was shitty. That was cruel to not only Laurel but to actual fucking real life alcoholics who take a lot of strength and a lot of inspiration from Laurel and people who are struggling with it in their families. Fuck you guys. That was fucking shitty because I. Fuck. What the so hell is going awful. on with the eyes there, Phil? God. Like, if Fully intended and produced like, by Mark Guggenheim. Like, if, if you had wanted to do it, have or Sarah, just... like, Laurel is, like, sitting on a cloud drinking a milkshake, and she's like, I could come back to Earth, but, like, Oliver is there, end up here, I get to go rollerblading with Bill Paxton, R.I.P. Yeah, something, anything. It was so, it was so shitty to me. And I'm not blaming Sarah for this. Yeah, I'm no, so I'm not angry. blaming the characters. I'm no. blaming one man and one man alone. Yes. The and we, that is Mark. I assume his middle name is... The Devil. Just, no, how dare you bring close family friend, the <laughs> His middle name is probably Beelzebub something is like 1-800-I-FART-NOW. I'm looking up his address in the yellow pages and it's just a trash can. Uh, yeah. Fuck him. I'm so Mark angry. Mark Guggenheim, just... I know what they say about you at DC, allegedly. And allegedly, uh, fuck you, buddy. Allegedly. Fuck, like, at this point, we're just... This was this was a season that feels hampered, allegedly, by Mark Guggenheim in a lot of ways. Because he did not want this show, allegedly, to have any sort of importance to the canon. And that's why it's very frustrating. Also, in a non-libelous statement, Mark Guggenheim honestly just has the face of someone that belongs on an ID channel special. Jesus. But he has a goatee. Oh. For fuck's sake, he's bald with a goatee. He looks like a circumcised oh. penis. A lot of men in comics do that bald goatee thing. It's not I a don't understand why they all love looking like circumcised penises. <laughs> I don't know. Why is I that don't... the look? 
because they're all dickheads. There you go. We um, did it. We did we, it. We did it. All right. It. <laughs> I, I'm actually angry that's not the end of the retrospective because that really would have been a yeah, good note to go out on. There. We hit our peak. We're done. Cut it. We're done. It. My point, final, final thoughts. This season feels like it was trying to be sabotaged, that they were trying to relegate this show to the role of the kid in the back of the classroom sticking crayons up their nose and here's the thing <laughs> this show and its cast are the kind of people where i'm like, like they could do that on their own really if you let them because it's that kind of cast of characters there's nothing wrong with them screwing around and kind of doing dumb stuff in time and space my issue is it feels like a deliberate push to irrelevancy because they are doing a lot of things to the timeline and we don't just immediately cut to the flash and Cisco waking up bleeding from his nose like oh <sighs> timeline change again and that's frustrating Barry what did you do did I do Barry. that we didn't wake up every morning to Barry going did I do that and then Good. Cisco going no Urkel <laughs> owned that he owned that <laughs> Don't you mean the shining? Do you want to get sued? Um, first <laughs> off, I'm so angry they haven't made that reference. Secondly, um, it really does feel like they were trying to make this the show irrelevant this season to the larger DCTV canon, and that's really frustrating. And like, you want Monel to be more relevant than to... these people? Yeah, like, really? these guys might be idiots, and like one of our friends was like all this stuff with the future and the flash makes no sense. Cause you have the legends. And I was like, no, that actually like, they might've actually asked the legends to help and they made it worse. So they had to go back and undo it. Yeah. Like that. Well, that's the thing but is they don't they care. Like they're better than a lot of other shit that's going on right now. They're and not. They just, it's so bad. They're not even on an alternate universe where like with Supergirl, if they fuck shit up, it's like, well, that's earth, whatever. But it is so frustrating to see this show not matter in the context of GCTV because it's trying to hype itself as a connected sort of MCU style thing and then shove legends to the back of the class to shove figures, crayons up its nose. Like they'll do that in the front of the class. You can just let them do it they there. Will, they don't care. They will. If you give them crayons, they'll do it. They don't they'll care do where it. it is, when it, it is. How long just... does peyote last? Katie Lots asks shoving crayons up her nose. I'm asking it was... for a friend. It was very frustrating to see this show forcibly shoved into irrelevancy, given other characters' villains, and made to kind of feel like a bargain basement sort of knockoff, when, if anything, Arrow is the bargain basement knockoff of a better show. So, just a better show in concept. Just, just a just good show. thing. Just, it is just, a, just, I mean, like, for one, it's a bargain basement knockoff of Batman. But yeah, I was going to say that, but... The bargain basement knockoffs of characters that you said didn't have any plot left, Mark? Yeah. Just yeah. saying? Throwing that out there. But it was very frustrating to see a show I enjoyed that had a lot of potential be basically forced into irrelevancy. And it says to me that they don't really care about establishing continuity because they're screwing with the future in the Flash timeline, but also screwing with it in the Legends timeline. And I can't even really tell anymore if it's just because they don't want Legends to be relevant or because writers are not being told what's going on on other shows or being asked to adhere to the continuity of other shows. And that's getting really annoying because you can't hype it as a connected universe and then only have their plots intersect for crossover purposes i have hopes that season three will be better i don't you know, know why i, I was thinking about this today uh-huh there is a show that we watched 
that we quit after the second season. And you and I both know why that was. Okay. And from what I saw from that show and from both the writing of the show, the writers of that show, and the fandom of that show by the end of the second season, this show is still above and beyond. 100%. The characters are still good. And there's yes. still potential, and there's nothing really malicious about it. It's just kind of, what the fuck? And like, I would I do disagree say, on the malicious I, part for a few instances. Well, yes, you know, thing. I mean, like, it's not malicious towards the characters themselves. It's malicious towards the show. It's malicious towards, like, Phil Klemmer, specifically. No, so I, I mean, more... Mark Guggenheim has dangled over a balcony, like, uh, vanilla, yeah. like, Suge Knight did to I... Vanilla Ice that one time. I watched a lot of VH1 as a child. Okay, what? But my point, you know, I do think there were, I think you and I disagree on a certain, there were certain sequences in the season that did feel a little malicious towards certain characters. I can but understand yeah, that. Ultimately, you know, because we come from certain things with a different perspective, and I'm all right with that. I think it makes the podcast more interesting. But, you know, this show, there are worse shows out there. There are worse superhero shows out there. I do think that because of the strength of these characters, which really, despite the crazy mess this plot became, the strength of these characters did not diminish. When I saw Nate getting ready to just leave everyone behind and go to 1942 with the Maya because he wanted to stay with her and he wanted her to be happy, I like I actually kind of cried a little. I mean, I cry at everything. I'm a big crybaby. But it was so sweet. It was so genuine. I, I still really cared about these characters and their arc even if the plot of this show has just turned into a shrug emoji. And well, you know what they say, time is a time flat, is a flat shrug, shrug emoji. emoji. All but right. They do the entire third season, like true detective. Stop. We do not have the budget for that. Actually, no, we, it, it, we do, but we shouldn't, but it's, it's very much something where I still care about these characters. I'll come back as long and as like, the characters the are who they are. Is, is like, again, there's one specific, kind of person we can direct our hate at. Like when I talk to Phil Klemmer in this podcast, I'm not blaming Phil. Phil is kind of the last thing we fucking have. He he's doing all right. He's like he's, Phil, he's, when I saw Mark Guggenheim doing the recaps of the season for 2A, I was like, get your ugly fucking face away from this show. I want my boy back. Uh-huh. I want my Phil back. And then but, like when Phil comes back, it's good cuz I can then tease him. I can be like, "Oh, Phil's putting me yeah. in his Phil prison." We got me. <laughs> But, we gently reprimand like, Phil. Like, Phil is all we have left at this fucking point. Please help. Yeah, he's fine. Help me, Phil. You're my only hope. But it is, I think there is still hope for the third season because these characters are still strong. So please figure out what your plot is. Let's go, because there's okay, probably going to be I'm a gonna writer's I'm going to give you some free soon. plot ideas right here. We're going to end the podcast with this. Some free plot all ideas. Right. Uh, number one, the gang is just lost in a Costco for an entire season. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Those things are huge. Number two, the gang goes to Anthrocon. Is that the entire And that's season? where Rip has been, having a lad's holiday in a fursuit. And yes, for the entire season, because we spread out the entire... We do, we do the full Ulysses, only we spread it out over three days, because it's three days of the con. So we managed to make the whole season three days at Anthrocon. Um... We just fucking pick up where season seven of True Blood left off. <laughs> like, why oh, the Christ. fuck not? Why the fuck not? What else are we doing? I, um, 
Um, We're just through a bunch of gag episodes. Like, honestly, I don't mind a villain of the week with this show because... No, not at all. But, like, just make it make sense. Just as long as you carry over the character relationships from episode to episode based on how they react to that villain of the week, you yeah. can have a show. Like, I really don't mind if the show is not relevant to the larger GCTV canon. While it's kind of annoying, I'm at the point where well, as long... The less it's involved in the larger GCTV canon, the less Oliver Queen I have to fucking see. That's fair. So it is something where, yeah, I would be fine if the rest of the season is kind of, or the rest of next season is like a villain of the week kind of thing, um, where there's no larger relevance, because this is a show where the character relations are what matter. So I'd be okay with that, but they have to still know what they're doing, and they have to have villains that aren't bargained, like, thrifted from someone else. Like, this is the one show, like, Arrow's biggest problem is that it's got a bunch of fucking OCs for no reason. Or it treats characters that are established as... Like OCs. Like OCs. This is the show to put your OCs in. Seriously. Um, Season 5 of the OC. That's that's what season three of Legends is. Okay. Um, yeah, I think ultimately we just, at, at this point, I think we'd be satisfied with anything as long as the character relationships were consistent. Um, that was the one saving grace of the season. And you could tell Honestly, when... I wouldn't mind if they, they stay with the Legends. Let's let her stay with them. Let's let I, her be happy. I, yeah. Uh, please get Felicity away from Oliver. I am 100% for that. Like, no joke. Um, that's, that's, a good, that's a good hope for season yeah. three. Yeah, ultimately... I mean, like, clearly Mark hates her just as much as he hates everybody else. Yeah, so uh, there you go. Um, but yeah, I think I think the two of us are still pretty hopeful for season three. We're still going to be doing these. Um, I, I I believe in these characters. I love these characters a lot. And I want to see good things happen to them, even if the plot doesn't make any fucking sense. All right, sense. so closing thought. Nick Zano, if you're listening, post a video to Instagram of you folding a shirt because I don't think you know how. Wash the dishes, Nikki. And, uh, yeah, fuck you. Closing thoughts. Yeah, closing thoughts. Also, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us through this podcast that started halfway through the B part of the season. Uh Sorry, guys. And we're excited to bring you some new stuff over the hiatus. Yeah. So, Um, I think we'll just do whatever we feel like because clearly... You know, we wanna we wanna rag on legends for not having a plot, but this podcast, like the show it is named for, also has no idea where the fuck it's going. It's very late and we're both clearly very and tired. That, so thank I you for being with us. Stay beautiful listeners. Good night. Good night. <laughs>